I mean, I would never in a thousand years been like, oh, I'm going to be a professional triathlete. For me, it was like something probably with ice hockey maybe or teaching or just this sequential, I guess. Yeah. And my mom was a teacher. So it was like, oh, okay, I'll just do this. And you just stumble along and, and find your way. But for me, it was, this was never, ever something that I would ever have thought of. And now it's like, I, yeah, back to the, I get to do this. It's, I would, wouldn't trade it for the world. It's like, I get to go out and train and race and be competitive every single day of my life. What's happening, Yogi Triathlete community? Welcome to the pod, the place where we share stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose, the kind of life that requires you to face your fears and open your heart, lift your limits, and welcome success. Not for the faint of heart, these people are risk takers, movers, and shakers who tend to reside in great levels of gratitude for the path they are paving in this life. Who am I? I'm Jess, your host, and I'm here with Yogi Triathletes head coach, BJ, and we are sitting in the conference room, or we're in somebody's room here at <laughs> Wadi Inc. headquarters with the lady of the manor, Heather Jackson. I am preaching to the choir, as most of you know who this badass champion already is, but let's just run through a few of her exceptional achievements. She is the current American Ironman record holder with her 839-18 performance at Ironman Arizona in 2018, which was the result of a late-blooming pop of athleticism that was actually meant for Kona, but landed in Tempe. She has four top five finishes at Ironman World Championship, she is a five-time Ironman champ, a 12-time 70.3 champ. She is wife to Wadi, and perhaps our most favorite quality, she is a native New Englander. So we know that this girl has hard work in her bones. <laughs> Heather, welcome to the show. Oh, that's probably the best <laughs> intro I've ever had. <laughs> right? Like growing up in New England, it's like, well, in New Hampshire too, you get, you get this hardcoreness about yourself. Yeah, totally. I It's so funny you mentioned that because Wadi, full SoCal born and bred and so he I remember when we first first met and you know we're learning each other and I was trying to explain the massive differences of <laughs> growing up out there and just I think yeah I guess more the east coast personalities traits that you can you can find in a lot of uh, New Englanders I know but I love when I find New Englanders out west because it's like you never really, I don't feel like you ever really lose that edge. Yeah. But it's like, oh, yeah, like you realize there was actually, a, a, you can go somewhere where there's sun and you can, like there is another way to live. It's not always just like, push, push, yeah, hard, like hard, hard, hard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Did yeah. you come from a family of hard workers? Oh, my gosh, yeah. That's literally shaped my entire life. Like my, I was mentioning just a second ago, I was out visiting my grandpa. He's... 94 he refuses to go into a home or get any sort of help he just he literally yeah is still crushing it but he was a, a mason he built like all any brick building in our town of exeter new hampshire he basically built so and he was still building stone walls fixing people's foundations literally up till like four or five years ago like you could find him on a roof fixing a chimney at 90. I mean, he's just, yeah, one of the hardest workers I know. And I mean, he fought in World War II. And, you know, I go back there and just listen to stories of 
like, oh, I told him I raced in Spain this summer. And he's like, oh, last time I went over there, it took us three weeks to get there on the, on a boat. And everyone was sick. And like it was he's still like referencing. <laughs> but he's lived in the same house since 1946, uh, which he bought for, I think, three thousand dollars or something. And his more he tells us how his mortgage was 40 bucks and he had to just work his butt off to try to make that every month. And it's just one example. I mean, my parents were. Um, my mom was a gym teacher for 30 years and my dad was a New Hampshire state trooper for 30 years. So, and they had four kids to, to support and they were, you know, let us do whatever we wanted. And so numerous other jobs as well, just working overtime. My mom coached every sports team you could think of just to, you know, make it possible for me to play hockey and soccer, my sister to do gymnastics, um, just all they gave us, um, yeah and and back to just how hard they worked and that was the family I was raised in so for me it was always you want something you have to work for it oh yeah yeah I remember that for (laughs) sure I used to get that all the time okay well you want it so figure out how you're gonna get it yes exactly you're hungry this is where the kitchen is yeah (laughs) come on in we have a visitor hi we have a podcast guest that just popped in to a podcast. I remember doing this at your place. That's so funny. Michael Marks is in the house. How are you doing, man? Perfect. I'm sorry to interrupt. That's okay. Do you need something here? A meeting, which is apparently happening somewhere else. Okay. No, are you kidding me? We're keeping it in. You were one of our earliest guests. That's awesome. An icon of the show. <laughs> Good to see you, Michael. How funny is that? That's what we love about this show. You can't plan that. Yeah, that's pretty. Yeah. All right, pay him the fifteen bucks you told me. Uh, so, um, brothers and sisters, I've heard you talk about your sister before. Yeah, my sister is my best friend. Just yeah. Um, so she's two years below me, but I, it goes my. I have a brother older, a year older than me and then myself. Then I have a brother a year younger than me and then my sister's two years younger. So literally my parents had one, two, three, four uh, kids that they were raising. I mean, we were, yeah, on leashes. <laughs> not in that side of joke. <laughs> literally. Everybody that, was in high school at the same time. Yeah, everybody was in high school at the same time. So were, yep. were you all kind of, like your mom being a gym teacher and a coach, and were you brought into athletics early? Yeah, I mean, I was... I was ice skating on the Exeter River from, I think I was two or three, like when I could stand basically. So we were always on the ice, soccer, basketball. A lot of mine were team sports. My sister, she had us all at gymnastics early and then my sister was the one that took to that. And I just, I think I lasted a couple years, but um, my brother got into ice hockey, my younger brother. And so I used to have to go to the early morning practices with my parents for him and it took I don't even know, probably less than a season. And I was complaining that I wanted to be out there uh, with the boys. So next year, yeah, I was playing. I played with the boys through through high school, basically, or up till high school. But yeah, she had us in. It was more so that she refereed, she coached um, after school. So whatever she had that day or that season we were also put on that team or brought to practice <laughs> it's like daycare yeah exactly I love it that she gets to tell you what to do <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah it was I mean for me it was amazing I got to try everything basically and then it was I think I think that kind of like set me up for now with triathlon it was 
this new challenge um, because I never did individual sports. I all growing up, it was like I've just mentioned hockey, soccer, basketball, softball, lacrosse. Um, I played a bit of tennis, but it was mostly team sports. And so then I think coming out of college, it was like this new challenge, this individual, I guess, pursuit, like what I could do as an individual. And that was new and different and um, exciting. And so. And how does how does triathlon come into your life? Um, also, again, my mom. Um, so I played ice hockey through college and I got home. It was the summer before my senior year and she was on a, a weight loss kick and she was running lo- local 5Ks and getting back into exercise because she had kind of just taken care of four kids, lost that side for herself. And so we were now grown up and she was trying to yeah, get back to herself and, and getting healthy again. And so she signed up. It's funny we're talking about Cannon Mountain because it was called Race to the Face and it was at Cannon. And you mountain bike like 12 miles, I think. Um, a mountain bike just from outside the ski mountain. There's like a lake at the bottom and you we drop the bikes, swam across the lake. I don't know, it wasn't that far, 500 meters or something. And then you ran up the main uh, ski run. It was maybe, whatever it is, a couple miles straight up under the main chairlift. And, then and that was your first? Run. That was my first, first triathlon, triathlon ever. Yep. And that water, I think it's Echo, I want to say it's Echo Lake. Exactly. Yeah, is it, yep, and it's that's... super chilly, like even in the, yeah. even in the summer. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, that was my first ever, so. What was the, uh, <laughs> Can you can you recall that? Can you recall the the biking and the swimming somewhat? You can. Yeah, I totally you visually can. can see that. Yep. What were you feeling? Like was this is this just another sport or was this It hmm, was What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> um I remember early on it wasn't like I didn't view it as a sport. I was like this is an adventure. So for me it was like, oh cool, we get to like mountain bike through the woods um and then we have to get across this lake and then we have to get up this mountain. So it wasn't the first, I guess, year I did triathlons, it was more just like this adventure. And then I started, I mean, I'm always, I've always been competitive at everything I do, but it was, um, more this, yeah, I think I took the whole thing in and then all of a sudden it started to click, like people do this to see how fast they can actually go versus like, I was kind of more just enjoying, I mean, that first one was so different, obviously than all the other ones, just bike, swim, run. For me, I remember my mom, um, she said how the, not the title sponsor, but, um, Bodie Miller, it's like his his hometown. And so one of his sponsors was behind the race and he was going to be there participating as well. So for me coming from, we'd also grown up skiing and snowboarding. So I was like, Oh cool. Bodie Miller is going to be there. So that was kind of my, like draw in and then I slowly started learning about actually triathletes and pros and in triathlon and be like oh like I yeah I want to be like they are (laughs) so that you talked about being competitive which you are you're also joyful so is there a joyful competitiveness that you have and and I'm leading this up because we actually saw you and Lindsay in Arizona um we snapped a photo of you guys like or she was helping you out so oh, yeah, that was like the best photo. I forgot that was you guys. <laughs> That's awesome. It's so cool because it, you can see the joy and you're probably like so excited to be out there. But also once you know your time, mm-hmm. competition is on if you have any competitive bone in your body. Right. So do you, how do you balance the two? Yeah, it's interesting because um, I've tried the like 
going into a race super serious or being super strict every day with every little thing. And for me, it just, it doesn't work unless I'm, yeah, enjoying what I'm doing or, um, yeah, it's hard to describe. Like you see some athletes or I do, and this is just probably my own perception of certain top female pro triathletes and you see them at races and they're very like straight faced and game faces on and serious. And I'm still serious, but I just, I'm serious in my own mind about my own performance and I want to get the best out of myself, but I'm not, I can't be that like, I don't, yeah. My headspace has to be just enjoying having fun, being relaxed or else I I actually end up having even a, a worse day. So, um, I always just, my main thing is just always saying like, we get to do this, um, that gratitude of being here, being able to do it versus there's so many friends that can't, they're either sick or they're injured or, I mean, there's so many people at any given day that can't train for whatever reason, can't race. And, um, I get to do this. So I'm just every day. Yeah. I know how lucky I am that, well, one is my job. I'm not sitting in an office somewhere, um, but that I'm healthy, um, and able to do that and so for me I go into races that way and that's how I get the best performance out of myself versus like very strict with numbers and times and watching that stuff so and I think it's it's really about and we're all we're all trying to figure this out for ourselves right it's like looking at somebody else and being like okay that that works for them like but it doesn't work for me and that's okay and so trying to figure out what it is that works for us exactly like, individually like what is it what truth really I guess you could say is like what's your truth for that makes you the best competitor out there you know on the day and it seems to me that a big part of that is joy exactly I would totally agree with that. and that <laughs> gratitude too like I get to I get to when we say I have to I have to do this or it's like I have to go to the store um it's 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 almost like a you could say it's it's not almost I'm trying to censor myself here it's totally like a victim like I have to do it I have no choice right it's, it's like, like no you don't have to go for yeah. a run I mean yeah you don't have no to forcing you right right exactly. but you get to you get to and we're, you know, as we do have mostly athletes that listen to this, we know that um, gratitude can get really acute when we have an injury. And I know that you were really fortunate to not have injuries, but I was listening to an interview you did with Cal. Um, it's like so funny. He's like so dry. Um, but I think it was 2000. I want to say maybe it was 2014 um, that you had an injury and you were in Kona. You did the interview with him in Kona, but you weren't racing, but you were there anyway. Uh, and you were saying that it was like the first injury you had, that it was pretty devastating. And yes. so for having a career of not being injured to being injured, mm-hmm. um, how did that, how did that take you down and how did you rise up from that? Yeah, man, that was, yeah. I look back on just yeah my my triathlon career it's 10 years now and for me every day I'm like oh my gosh like wow I can't it feels like yesterday I literally was just at Cannon Mountain doing the first one so that knock on wood was my has been my only major injury um and I just remember that year when I look back at pictures or times from that that year it was devastating because I had never had an injury and I think if it's your first major one, it's just, you don't even know where to start. Like you, your whole world is just like 
done. It's uh, yeah, it was it was pretty rough for the first month. Um, was it? Can you share with us what it was? Oh yeah, I had a um, sacral stress fracture, and it's funny because not funny by any means. Sorry, wrong word. Um, that they, those seem to be more and more common in triathletes. At least literally mm-hmm. since I was like Google searching everything, like trying to talk to everyone, and it was supposedly this rare injury. And then literally since I've had one, um, I've just seen people share that you know numerous numerous people. I think um, I know I'm good friends with Ben Hoffman, and he had one last year before Kona. Um, a lot of females have had them. Um, I think just. Um, I think Liz Blatchford, Sarah Haskins. I can, I know there's a full list, but I was like, were there signs or was it like an all of a sudden boom? Um, for me, I remember when the pain started, I was out for a run a longer run. Um, and I actually darted into the woods cause I go to the bathroom and I kind of like fell back on my tailbone and, um, got up and then finished my run. I still had like four or five miles, but to get home and I was fine then but I it kind of felt like maybe I bruised back there and then I woke up the next day and tried to run and it was the most painful um yeah most pain ever um so it was probably already starting or weakening and then that fall back was I, I look back it was also the first year I was planning to step up in distance for Ironman and I think I just I went from running I don't remember like maybe 30 30 something miles a week approximately when I was training for halves to I was up to like over 60 miles a week and it was just a me I think I did it too quick um I'm sure that that um after working with um PT after they were saying if you increase your mileage too much too soon um it's just yeah wears yourself down wears your bones down and so it was I think I was already probably um prone to something at that point and then and I was trying to I was was that four, three or four years into triathlon now? And I was still, um, not still trying to lose weight, but I, I used to be probably 30 pounds heavier coming off of ice hockey. Mm. And so, um, that for early in my career, it was like, well, I really should like, I need to change my body type for this sport. And it was for me, that meant losing, losing quite a bit. Yeah, so you were still like in the really like getting through the growing pains of becoming a triathlete during that time. And when you got that diagnosis and the like, you got to stop. Yeah. How did that? How did that hit? Um, yeah, it was. I remember. So I had to go in for an MRI, and then I had to go back the next day for the result. And she's like, "Yep, appears you have a sacral stress fracture." And I just started bawling like uncontrollably. And I was at Wadi. I think was maybe even down here for. I was up in Bend, Oregon. Something. He wasn't with me, so I was just like bawling. And I think this doctor did, had no idea how to respond because she's like, "It's fine. You'll be good. Like in eight weeks, eight to twelve weeks, you can resume again." And I was like, "Eight to twelve weeks." Like, and it was. I think I was about. I was meant to leave for escape from Alcatraz. It was early June and I was just like, but I have a race on Sunday and like just bawling and screaming. And it was, um, yeah, that month after I was, I don't know if I would use the word depressed, but I was pretty, pretty down for sure. I was, I would look out the window and see people run by and start crying or I would just start crying all the time randomly. And I didn't know how to, yeah how to get out of that yeah yeah it it starts and then it starts the spiral and you think am i ever going to get back yeah will i ever be able to do what i've done or compete at the highest level like you think that yeah you'll never 
be able to to reach a top level again that's all that was going through my head like yeah I'm done this is now what am I gonna do do it like what am I gonna do with my life what, am I, what job I need to get a job now like you just assume the worst um yeah it's it was pretty bad <laughs> <laughs> I can relate so closely um with this because I, I I had a similar experience and I just noticed my attachment to the sport and who was I yes. if I can't swim bike and or run every day like what ha who am I right and you start to really question your identity did you go down that road yeah for sure it was yeah completely it was like oh maybe I'll move back east and get back into I was gonna maybe work at a high school or somewhere and coach and teach and and I literally was like I wonder if like it's gonna come to that now it's it, like you literally are like what am I gonna do now like you think it's the end of the world yeah and there's people probably around you that are like heather it's okay you're yeah. gonna you're gonna come out of this yeah. but in your mind it's really dark like you can't see the end you can't see the other side totally so how did they how did you finally like how did that how did you rise up how did you get pulled out of that um or was it just a, you know over time yeah it was that it was probably a month because i don't think i did anything for a month maybe two to three weeks i did nothing and then they said i could get in the pool again with pull buoy and band on so that I wasn't kicking my legs mm -hmm. at all, but I could just use my upper body. Um, so it was those first three weeks where you're, and I, again, I think Wadi was down here or he had come down for business meetings here um, in San Diego and I was still up there and I remember my sister flew up and um, to, just to spend some time with me and try to help me. And I remember I still have pictures from that and, and like in the pictures we're smiling, we went up to the lakes um, up, near Mount Bachelor and Ben and we were paddle boarding and just hanging out and we're smiling in all the photos and but I still see those photos and I remember like how sad and upset I was like and she was there trying to just support me and be there for me but it was still like just this cloud over that time frame so then when I was able to swim again it was like okay it gave me something to focus on so I was like okay I'm just gonna swim as much as I can this is like my weakness I can work on it now and so I was literally going to the pool like three times a day just I couldn't do anything else so <laughs> I was so like, might as well swim <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so I think just as you emerge from like okay you're allowed to start doing activities I think at six weeks or eight weeks I was able to get back on the bike just on the trainer um not with a lot of weight and then I think they let me start running at like 10 or 12 weeks so and it was like one minute on walk a minute jog for a mm -hmm. minute so um, right back to the basics yeah can you see in this opportunity that I'm sure you can at this point but that it happened for you and not to you yes, yes. and maybe changed your perspective or experience and how one would train to boost up to the Ironman level or whatever endurance um, level you wanted to get at yeah, completely. I mean, for me, it just reinforced the I get to do this because the second it's taken away from you, and that's why I mentioned earlier, like people who are injured at any given time in the season, and even if it's nothing and you're just, you have to miss one half Ironman that there's another 20 the next six months, like it's the end of the world, but they would still give anything in that moment to be there on the starting line, for instance, at Oceanside, but they're, so for me, it's just helped re, I guess, ignite that 
gratitude and I haven't forgotten it since then. And knock on wood, it, I haven't had anything since then. It's what's that almost six years now. Um, but it also I think makes you more aware of your training and not overdoing it. Um, I'm mu a much more cautious athlete. I was also much younger then. So I think coming out of college and you're like, I can do anything. I'm invincible. Like I can run like, Oh, like, yeah, and also the East Coast mentality. Like, <laughs> I can oh, grunt tougher, my way through yeah, this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tougher than all of you. I mean, and so it was more just being, I think, being smarter with training ever since then. And the second I think anything's popping up, I just take a day or two or whatever it is off. And I think I'm I'm much more very, very cautious as compared to even friends who I train with or um, and because of that to, to not overdo it it's great that you haven't had an injury, but I think that that mindset is helping you. The clear example for our audience is you, you misfired at Kona, but then you come back <laughs> at, at another race. Cause there's always another race. Right. And you nail it. So don't get too caught up in like the Kona drawback. Yeah. Like, okay, it didn't, I didn't make it this time. Cause we know that your goal, like you really want to perform well there, but there's another error. There's another Ironman shortly thereafter and you can come right back and, and nail it. There's always an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, last, yeah, I would say last year post Kona was closest in, in terms of a mindset that I've gotten back to the year that I was injured. I was like, so down after Kona, just, I had put everything into it. And I honestly thought that that was the best I had prepped ever for that race. Um, and it was just, yeah, devastating to just, I just remember even, I mean, I knew I was having a rough day, 10 miles into the run and it, I was walking, cramping. I hadn't fueled properly. I'd done everything in the race that I talk about not doing. Like I was trying to chase so-and-so down or this, and I didn't fuel right versus just doing my own race. And it was, I just, for two weeks following Kona, it was like, what was I doing? Like, what was I doing out there? And you're just so couldn't, yeah, get over that. And then it was like, okay, forget about it let it go. There's another opportunity. And so for me, Arizona last year was just like completely complete revenge race of <laughs> just make up for do exactly what you wish you had done on the day in Kona. And here's your chance to show, yeah, what you, you've done in training and how I thought I could, um, execute it was beautiful to watch. We were watching it and, you know, we know Carrie pretty well just being uh, local yeah. here. And yeah. She also didn't really have the Kona that she wanted. And then you both went and just crushed Arizona, <laughs> like really had these career, I would say, like these just the performance that you that you hope for in a career as a professional athlete. Oh, totally. I know. Carrie. So funny. Carrie and I are such similar uh, athletes. And so I'm all we're always uh, close in, if we're ever racing each other. So it's, yeah, it was, I didn't know if I was going to get her on the day last year. It, we go back and forth. Cause if you know her, and you know, she's got a fire that does not go out. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> she was just ahead of me in Kona all this year too. I finally got her near the energy lab, but I could in the, on the running Kona, like you can see far in the distance on that highway. So I could see her all the way up there and it was just this like, oh my gosh, I can't tell if I'm gaining or not. And it was this slow, like, 
Uh, yeah. So. Tell us about that. That <laughs> I guess um, the word that's coming to me is almost like this camaraderie, right? So you're seeing these girls, somebody like Carrie's had a long career. You've had a long career. You're seeing these girls year after year in Kona. And it's like, do you see them? And you're just like, okay, here we go. Here we go again. Like, what is that camaraderie like on race, on race morning? Let's talk about Kona specifically. With yeah. these girls that you just keep seeing over and over, year and year and year. <laughs> they're, they're still here. Yeah, <laughs> I know. No, I mean, I think it's pretty cool. Like I was saying earlier about like being serious or not. I mean, I'm still serious when I race, but for me, it's, you know, all the girls and you know, on any given day, anyone could have the day of their dreams. And so you just hope on that day, it's going to be you, but I don't not like someone if it happens to be their day it's like you celebrate that as well like I would love for Carrie to have an amazing day and or I'm good friends with obviously Cor Lindsay Corbin or just there are people that I'm closer with in the sport but I mean all everyone in the pro field is training as hard as they can every day and so if on that day it's their day um yeah it's it should be I don't I see that as amazing for them I obviously want to have a good day myself but it's everyone's so close that it really comes down to just you have to nail every little thing at the Ironman distance is usually nutrition is the limiting factor in terms of if you've you've like got enough nutrition in on the bike to prepare yourself for a good marathon and it comes down to that run um with how the female field has risen in terms of runability so <laughs> it's like that balance I think um of just yeah executing on the day so you're one of those girls that's taken that level up though like uh. you're 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 part of those risers for sure you're changing the game I mean you and a lot of the other women out there are just really really miraculous and you just keep stepping up to okay well this is what we got to do now <laughs> um Let's let's go let's go back just a little bit so we know how you got into triathlon, and um, but but when does it become like okay I, I'm going to do this professionally? I know you really you nailed a couple of your first ones, <laughs> and um, but when do you realize like this is something that you can do as a career? Like you're you're good, <laughs> you're great. Uh, I hate that word good. I'm done so with it. Blah, <laughs> so mediocre. Oh, no. um, well. Graduated college in 06, and then I actually traveled for a year. I was over in um, Thailand teaching English for a year. I got back and got a teaching job out in San Jose, California, and that's where I got more into triathlon. There, I found the local tri club, started just going to all the group workouts, and then did um, uh, probably three or four races that first year I was out there, so that would have been 2008. Um, in the 18 to 24 age group. So I think maybe I started with Oceanside that year, 18 to 24. And it was when Oceanside had slots for Kona. So I got a slot for Kona that year. And then I was training again back up in San Jose. I think I raced maybe was, they used to have the Boise 70.3. Mm -hmm. So I'm up there teaching, trying to train. Like I was not probably the best teacher there was because I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> when can I train? Like, well, I'm out of school. Like I should be grading. These Everybody papers. gets an A. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Teachers gotta go. I gotta, I gotta get to the pool. Um, so then in that time frame, 2008, Wadi was working for, um, triathlete magazine at the time. And he and the editor, Brad Culp, um, 
drove up to the Bay Area to do to meet with clients. They were going to Santa Cruz to meet with a bunch of the companies over there. And then um, the editor, Brad, was going to do this story on this local um, tri-team that I was training with at the time. Um, I love it. And this was also you guys could meet and fall in love. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so... Wadi and Brad come up and they have this, it was actually say an office like this and they brought in some of the top age group triathletes um, and they were going to do this interview story. I remember I walked in, I rushed over from school and I walk in and I open the door and then I see Wadi and I tell this story because I was like, yeah, it was like love at first sight. I'm out from the East coast and I'm like, oh my God, I'm moving to California, like all these surfer dudes. And I'm picturing like, I think more what you see down here in SoCal, but I'm up in the Bay Area and I'm working at a private school that is primarily um, transplants over from Asia and India. And it's a, yeah, I just wasn't seeing the surf California uh, vibe that I was like picturing with California. And literally Wadi was the first he had like a flat brim on, he had his vans on, he had like these baggy surf shorts on. And I was like, my God, finally. <laughs> <laughs> There's one. Cause is he from SoCal? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost like, are you serious? Like sometimes yeah. I go down to the beach and I'm like, are you serious? Like these people do actually exist. It's yeah, so exactly. awesome. <laughs> so it was just funny. And then it, he, I, met him first time there and then we went from the interview I guess office area to every Wednesday up there there was a Wednesday ride and he turns out to be this he was actually a pro cyclist um so he's this badass cyclist at the front of our group um on this Wednesday ride and um yeah it was it's basically these couple of pro male triathletes at the time would go to the front and just hammer and it's this like 30 mile loop every Wednesday night. And, but there's one little kicker of a hill that you have to get over and then back to the parking lot. It's a loop, um, about 10 miles out over and then back. So, um, if you don't make it over the hill with that group, it's always a headwind coming back into the parking lot. And so Wadi's like on the wheel and I'm on his wheel and it was like, it has completely split up by now and there's like five of us and he's starting to get dropped a little on this climb it's maybe less than a mile long but I was like screaming at him like you have to stay on their wheel like or else we're gonna get dropped like it's a headwind all the way back and he's like looking at me like who is this girl (laughs) and so he like yeah he gets on and we make it and it's like a group of five of us that just tt back and if he didn't if he didn't make it we might be talking about a different story i know right yeah i met this guy from socal he was too soft he couldn't hang on the wheel he got us dropped (laughs) i don't know what happened to him Exactly. But it didn't. It went another yeah. way. Yeah. We got so did, did you guys stay in touch after that? So yeah. So we stayed. Um, we stayed after in touch you, a little you bit. Yelled at him. <laughs> exactly. I was like, oh man. But he like. I think we both. We obviously had a connection. And then um, I saw him in Kona that year. Um, I raced as an age grouper that year, 2008. Um, and then so we saw each other there. Um, hung out, and then we kind of stayed in touch. He came up here for Oceanside. Or no, sorry. I came down here. I was still in San Jose at the time. Saw him at Oceanside. Still nothing had happened. We were just flirting a lot. And and then Wildflower that year, 2009, is when we, I guess, yeah, started kind of hanging out. Like, And so he's obviously seeing, like, your legit athlete. And was, did he play a part in you going pro? Exactly. So, yeah, Wildflower, 2009, he was like – 
just move down to San Diego. I'll help you out. Like you can move in with me, um, quit teaching and just give this thing a go. Like you can always go back to, to teaching. So I went back from wildflower in May and told the, the principal, like I was giving him my notice. I wasn't going to return. So school year ended, um, early June and Wadi flew up. We rented a U-Haul. He packed my house up and then I moved down here. Um, and I was still getting paid cause you still get paid 12 months, um, for teaching. So I was still getting like, I knew I had six more checks coming, like biweekly payments through August. So I was like, okay, like it's <laughs> what, all good. Yeah. It's what all are we good. Gonna, I got to figure this out quick. So what happens when August comes and the paycheck stop? Did it get scary? <laughs> I got the pro my pro card. And then, um, I remember my first pro race was in July out at Providence 70.3. Oh yeah. Um, and so I, we flew back East. Um, so we could, we were staying with my parents who were still living in Exeter. That was like the two transition zone year, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. Did you guys do that one? Uh, we did it. BJ did it. The, the, yeah. In 11. Okay. I've done it in 2010. 2009. 2009. Yeah, that was my first pro race. So yeah, because you swim out, swim in Nary, Narragansett, Narragansett Bay, right? Oh, in Nary, Nary Bay. Or was it the pond? I don't know. Was it the ocean? It was, it was ocean. Oh, so yeah. yeah, it was Narragansett Bay. Okay. Yeah. And then biked all the way into town, and then it was near Providence Place Mall was mm -hmm. the transition, and then the run. Yeah, there's some legit hills and oh in, yeah, like that city too. Yeah, yeah I remember that run course. Yeah, yeah it was it was pretty hilly can't remember the pro the prize purse but I think it was one of the first years so there wasn't there weren't too many um, pro females and so I ended up getting third on the day um, and so I think it wasn't a big prize purse I think I made like two grand maybe two or three grand and I was like yes like we're good until like November now and like <laughs> that was like totally. one of those like literally it yep. was race to race so mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I did that one. And then I think Timberman. So we moved, we went back East for two months, stayed at my Timberman's, parents. Like, but they don't have it anymore. I know. Or best. Moose Man. Those were like Moose my Man, favorite. Moose Man, I did that half. Um, you did the Olympic. BJ did the Olympic. Um, that was another great one. Yeah. yeah. Loved that All race. of those. And actually, we grew up, my grandparents lived in, um, they have a house actually in between Winnipesaukee and Squam Lake. So it literally was uh, we, Moose Man easy, like Moose Man we were super close to. And then, um, that's in Bristol. Yes. I think, yeah. Yep. Bristol. And, and then, then Timberman yeah. was, um, Wolfboro. Yes. Or, yeah. So great races. Yeah. Those were, and they're no more. No, none of them. Mm. Providence was good too. I liked it. Yeah. Providence was good too. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. So. so okay so you you're good till november like this is amazing right <laughs> wait did you get the big check is this your first big check oh, like man. the big printed out yeah or no? i've gotten a few of those yeah not a, i don't think of that one <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i would have if i got that <laughs> now um but wadi also makes a professional move too right mm -hmm. does he drop these safe safe paychecks mm -hmm. around the same time yeah so it was so that was that summer july august 2009 and then he it was around september i think september october we get back from east coast um out here we were living in oceanside um and yeah he was just miserable with the job he had been doing it for it was his first job i guess out of school so he'd been at it for now like 12 years 10 or 12 years um and 
he was just over it and he was done with it. And he's, he's a very like creative artistic person. And this was just this kind of not satisfying. You can only suppress that for so long, you know, and then it will turn into misery. Like I just, I can't, you you just try and push that down. Yeah. You can't, it's got to come up. Yeah. And he just, he had all these ideas and he now after 10, 12 years in the industry knew all these, he was the global ad sales. Um, sorry, I'm butchering the title, but he was the head guy for ad sales for triathlete magazine. So he had all these connections to all the companies that he would pitch or try to um, sell ads to for the magazine. So now he has all these connections and, and relationships. Exactly. They know friends with all of them. Just, He's such a good guy and he's friends with everyone. And he was already kind of giving these companies advice in terms of like, oh, yeah, have you see, did you see this race? Like up in, so-and-so's up and coming result or like he was already, I guess, pitching athletes to companies or making introductions because he was also friends with all the athletes. Um, again, just from being like a guy out and about and, and like meeting all the pros, he would let a bunch of people come here and live with him and train. Um some of the Aussies would come over and crash with him here in uh, Carlsbad for, you know, a month at a time. So um, he just had all that and he started helping out more officially. Um, I think he had three or four pros who were young at the time. So Ben Hoffman, Joe Gambles. Um, I was obviously trying to um, make it um, I'm trying to think who else early on, Fraser Cartmel, I think. Um, and he started officially helping these pros get contact contacts, contracts, deals. Um, and in the back of his mind, he was, um, trying to get going like a brand. He was always into fashion to design. He's very stylish. And, um, he coming from cycling had seen the effect of rock racing, um, forgetting all the obviously black cloud around that team, but just the, what they did in cycling, you have standard boring kits, um, boring teams. And then they come in, in these crazy kit designs, like driving to races in these Cadillacs, like playing like (laughs) rap music. And it just like changed cycling. Um, and he had been there for that, like just the local crit scene here. And, um, so he was like, triathlon's so boring. Like everyone's in these kits that are just at the time they were very standard, just like a black or oh, blue, totally. light blue. They were terrible. And, yes, were yeah, terrible. exactly. Yeah, the white. standard. Yes. Just and so he was trying to just plot out this like, how can we do something different? Um, and then also just being a marketer at heart of like when he's working with these young pros, like how do you stand out um, if if a company's looking to work with someone? and sponsor them and market them. Like, how do you stand out if you're going to line up 10 pros right now? Like, why should they pick you or what do you offer? How can you stand out amongst a crowd? So he's always just had that marketing. I love that. There's, there's so much, there's so much in there for people who are really thinking about like, you know, there's something on my heart that I really want to do. And it it truly is. It's like, what, how can you stand out? How can, and you really have to um, stand out in a way that is, you, it cannot be overlooked at this point. Yeah, totally. Um, I think he's definitely achieved that. (laughs) (laughs) Did it ever, I mean, it seemed like you had really good momentum uh, and he had great connections. So, I mean, it was almost like if he didn't make the step, it was like, oh dude, no, you got to make the step. 
Yeah. Did it ever get scary though? Did you, was there ever doubt? Like, holy crap, what did we just do? Yeah. So okay. So yeah. Um, so he had this idea. He starts helping pros, and then he quits his job at triathlete. Um, and so, but similarly, I think he had like a certain amount of money in the bank from that. Like we were like, all right, should be good for like two or three months. Or I, I don't even know if we had sat down and said that, but it was just like, okay, now we have to do, we have to make this work. Um, so we actually, uh, packed up our Oceanside condo and moved in. We moved all our stuff into storage. And then his mom lives up in, um, like Torrance, Redondo beach area. So we went up. And we lived with her, um, I think it was like December, January. And then it was like, okay, we got <laughs> to get out of here. We went back east. I think it was around then. Oh, maybe it was after Oceanside. Uh, moved back east. My parents were still in Exeter. So we were, um, yeah, living out of a storage unit. So we didn't have to pay rent um, at that time. And then. <laughs> I mean, you always had your grandpa's house and his $40 mortgage. Exactly. <laughs> So it was definitely, uh, definitely scary for sure. And it was like, what is the next move? And this was when Wadi started our age group team. Um, and again, from his contacts um, with all these companies, he pitched this team idea to some of those early on sponsors that we had. It was like K-Swiss when they were big in the team. Um, I can't even remember those early on ones, but he was able to pitch okay, we're going to start this team. We'll market it. I will be the one. He really put himself on the line. Like, we're going to make them stand out at races. We're going to do all this. You know, he had this full deck, and he pitched it to four or five companies. And so they all paid in whatever it was, five grand or ten grand, or he got some contracts from these bigger companies. And so it was like, okay, we've got 20 grand. It wasn't for us to live, but it was basically like, this was his job now. And so that was, he put everything into those first years of that elite team um, to market, to make the sponsors see um, like a return on their investment, um, really make a stand at all the races, a splash, really stand out. And so at the time we used Squadra, who was here um, in, I think, Vista, this area to make the kits which he designed but again how are we going to stand out on course um, we have all these age groupers I think we picked 50 that first year promoting these products um, Herbalife was another big one I remember because they've been with me since day one so that's why they've been my biggest supporter and they supported this team with Wadi and I and so all of a sudden like this team's getting noticed at the races um, I think this was 2010 um, and so then other companies kind of latch on and see that and they're like, oh, let's be a part of it. So maybe we got a few more the next year. Um, so it was kind of this like not luck because I saw I remember how hard Wadi worked um, to make that happen and make it work and make sponsors like happy with their investment into this this team. Um, and so but that was how we kind of got by those first two years living out of the storage unit and then just <laughs> literally like yeah him working so hard and and meanwhile the the team had the sponsors that were behind us on it but then he was using the, his he had his w mark um huge across the chest of those first kits um and he was still helping some of those pros that i mentioned the early on ones that he was having he basically said to these pros i'm not going to take commission on any of the deals i get you but i can you wear this w on your kit and so if you see some of these pros that are now like Ben Hoffman's gotten 
second in Kona. Like he, you look back on old pictures, like he was rocking the W early, early on. And it, it's pretty cool to just see how 10 years later, that's how it started. It got it out there. So you were seeing it on age groupers and then you were also seeing it on some pros. And then fast forward 2014, when Wadi and Ryan, Katie's partner, had cycled together um, just over the years and, and Ryan was looking for a new venture and Ryan's like, I'll take care of the manufacturing um, side of things down here, um, opens up a, here we are today, a factory to make this stuff because we were still using Squadra that entire time of producing kits. Um, so 2013, um, we start actually like designing patterns. Um, I was like testing all these prototypes. They were hand sewing things and like telling me to go run in it. Um, and then, yeah, 2014, we got everything up and running and actually make the stuff here um, versus using an outside outside vendor. So just, <laughs> just taking step after step after step. So if someone listening to this is like, I want to do that. Like, I want to follow. I want I, like, I want to see what it's like to pursue what, what, I, what others potentially see impossible. And that's what I wanted to ask you is in your tight knit community or the people surrounding you, were, did you have people that are like, you guys are crazy. You guys, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what Everyone. are you doing? And how did you, how did you combat that? Like, how do you navigate that? How does someone navigate that? Cause that can be so strong and debilitating. Yeah. It's funny you say that. Cause I, I always, and Wadi will hundred percent say this, like I always doubted everything. And I'm like, what are we doing? Like what, why would anyone buy a kit with a W on it? I don't get it. And, and what was like, his reply? He's like, well, why do you buy like a Burton snowboard jacket? Or why do you buy a like this? And I'm like, I don't know. It's, it's cool. I like it. And I like that. That was his response in this sport because there was nothing like he's like I wouldn't buy any of these kits I wouldn't pick this kit to race in I and he's never I mean he's done a few triathlons but and he's like there's nothing there so he saw a missing part in our industry and went after it and people I think the most people that told him like you are absolutely crazy were the clothing companies that were already in business and and were like you have no idea what you're about to get into um and so and i every time we would hear that from the various companies i'd be like yeah i agree (laughs) but he was the one that was like no we're doing it we're like yeah so i yeah i don't even know i credited all the wadi (laughs) was there did you have like um did you feel a security because it was like with like the two of you together like okay so let me let me buffer this by saying i i don't know what i was watching but he it's a video of him and he's tracking you at iron man oceanside and he's giving you splits and all of this and and he was saying how you know people were like you're crazy you quit your jobs like what are you guys are doing and he just said like but but i have heather like I've got Heather, right? Like I've got, <laughs> yeah. I've got, we've got love. And how powerful is that when you're really taking a step off the cliff? Oh yeah. It's, I mean, that's everything. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, at any point, if this isn't working, it's like, well, we have each other. We love each other. We're happy. We're like, yeah, we have each other. And so if it doesn't work, we'll just figure out the next step, but yeah. we'll give this a go. And yeah, like you're saying, 
at the end of the day, we have each other. So it doesn't really matter what's what's going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and being a New Englander too, you know, as BJ and I risked a, a lot, everything for what we do now. I just remember our, the people, our core people were always like, you guys are survivors. Like, you'll do what you need to do if you need to get a job in a restaurant if you need I mean and I have been on the like Starbucks employment thing like okay I'm gonna just (laughs) fill out the application then I was like no Wadi was gonna do that too at one point yeah that's (laughs) Starbucks gave me hope because I was like at least I can just I can throw down some lattes. I hear they have health insurance. Like, exactly. That was the thing, I think. Yeah, the health like, insurance. Well, yeah, like we don't have insurance right now. Like what are we going to do? And I think we just had the emergency, whatever mm-hmm. it's called, one at some point. But but I'm sure at some point you probably didn't have any. And it's yeah. just like you got to just – you got you to live from – well, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but do you feel like you've got to live from your heart, like what your heart says? Oh, completely. Completely, yeah. It's – you have one – and how I view it, like – yeah, you have one life. And so every day, like, you make the most of it because you never know. Anything could happen any day. So, I mean, make the most of every single day that you get to, to be here and live. So that's kind of how we, yeah. If we weren't happy right now, me with triathlon or Wadi building this brand, like, it, yeah, we would find find what does make us happy. So, yeah, just grateful that it's it's going well and that we're able to do this every day. <laughs> That's beautiful. So now you've got the elite team. You've got the hit squad, which is huge. And we interviewed Tutran, who's, you know, awesome. kind of hitting up. Like, he's heading that all up. And, and you know, just knowing Lorenzo from being around here, they obviously revere you, uh, <laughs> the lady of the house. But what do you pull from them? You've got, I mean, all oh these people gosh. that are just supporting the brand, supporting you, supporting Wadi loving what you guys are putting out there into the world what what do they what do you pull from them oh my gosh yeah I mean honestly like every day we're just so grateful for the crew that has supported Wadi and I um two has stepped up the last year over a year now with our teams and he is incredible like absolutely incredible he is one of the smartest guys out there but he's so organized he's so professional and he like he gives everything he has a job with i think microsoft or google yeah, like or he's not <laughs> he's yeah like he's like a full-on brainiac yeah he's got a pretty legit like full-time job yeah. a little i think he's got a baby at home yeah, exactly. a wife and, yeah. <laughs> and, but he's like we have weekly um team meetings on like what's going on with the team events we're going planning for the year sponsorship stuff sponsorship relations he's doing all the sponsors now for the elite team and the hit squad and he every week is just like comes on with like powerpoint presentations like all this stuff and i'm like how do you like you are insane like i struggle just to like get back to an email from like two months ago (laughs) he's yeah he's incredible and so it's just yeah him and then Lorenzo we hired this time over a year ago and it's just Lorenzo has literally I mean we credit just taking this brand from not questioning what was going on if it was okay but literally elevating to in business or in with say my only experience is clothing company but it's like there are these steps where you're either staying stagnant or you know, you ha- these growing points where you're either going to keep growing and make it, or it's like, what are we doing? This is, we're kind of just stuck here. And he has just brought it to this whole other level just with him being on. 
um, and part of this company. And it's his positivity, his enthusiasm is just ha- so. With two Lorenzo, we've hired Toshi as our our marketing director. Um, it's it's crazy the people that one to see the growth of the brand that were able to do that because we were at that point where it's like we need these positions, we need these people helping us out because um, we can't just handle it as like three people here ourselves anymore with um, everything going on and then me still racing. Like I used to help run the team early, early on, and then just with training. So. Yeah, just the fact that we're able to do this now with how we've been able to grow and then the people that want to be a part of this and, and are so enthusiastic and so we, we have this incredible team. What's it like when you're out there racing and you're seeing like the W is just going it's, by you, like 20 people, 50 people out on the course with you? I mean, you guys are huge. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy just, yeah, I... I still like I, I find myself in races like oh my god another one like because for me it's still like picturing the days that we were hand sewing it here just and now we have all these people that want to support us and want to support the brand and are out on course like wearing something that we made and it's still I still see every single kit like that of like oh my god like you spent money on something we made and it's a brand that you're when you're buying a wadi ink piece it's like you're supporting Wadi and I because that that's what it was it started as just and I yeah for me it's like Wadi's dream and what he wanted to create and I always doubted him and thought this wasn't going to happen and so now like it's whenever I see it I'm like wow like this is what he wanted to do and it's here in flesh and really happening (laughs) you're doing the same exact thing (laughs) with your own life (laughs) <laughs> with your own life and your career can do you see that right oh. yeah that too is another one I'm like wow this is one because I didn't grow up doing triathlon it was never east coast it wasn't big ever like I don't think I think it's bigger out there now but it wasn't a sport that you grow up knowing about no the roads aren't I mean yeah I don't think people understand like, yeah there's no bike lanes yeah exactly there's no. at any given time there'll be a large piece of the pavement that's missing yes exactly <laughs> And swimming is pretty much indoors yeah. all the time. Yeah. Rarely exactly. is it outdoors. I would say moving out here from there was like, that was the biggest bonus. Yeah. Was being able to swim outside. Yeah. No. I mean, I would never in a thousand years been like, oh, I'm going to be a professional triathlete. For me, it was like something probably with ice hockey, maybe, or teaching, or just this sequential, I guess. Yeah. And my mom was a teacher. So it was like, Oh, okay, I'll just do this. And you just stumble along and and find your way. But for me, it was, this was never ever something that I would ever have thought of. And now it's like, I, yeah, back to the, I get to do this. It's, I would, wouldn't trade it for the world. It's like, I get to go out and train and race and be competitive every single day of my life. Yeah. Does it feel like that's, (laughs) pretty purposeful for you like you're you you've got this life that feels pretty on purpose yeah it's funny as I move into yeah my later years in this sport because now you start to think about okay I've got how many I don't know how many I've left but it's not this infinite number from back when I was 25 so now it's okay maybe I have three um potential years left at the highest level four like I don't know the number but I know it's it's that's something that's on the horizon, just preparing for the future. So for me, it's like making the most of every single day with my training and my racing, but yeah, finding this purpose of like 
this has been my career path, which is again, absolutely incredible. Like I'm so just, how can I use this now for the future? How can I use what I'm doing right now for other things that will maybe blossom into the next chapter for me? I've been able to create this, this not platform, but this like, okay, do I want to coach? Do I want to help inspire other women? And is it in triathlon? Is it in other things? Is it like what, yeah, using what I've learned in this sport and in all my friendships and relationships and everything of, okay, let's, how am I going to kind of merge into the next thing? More so this year, I started thinking about it and the next, I guess, couple of years will really be the, okay, like make the most of, of when I can race at the highest level. And I think I still got two, three more years in me of really competing with the best and then see how to make that move of the next chapter. So the unknown, do you do you embrace the unknown? Do you see it as exciting <laughs> or do you get caught up in a little bit of the hesitation and the fear? Um, I'm trying to embrace it. I think last year or early in the year was when I first started clicking like, okay. Um, and as a pro, you deal with um, contracts and sponsorships and like, okay, how are we going to um, position ourselves and phrase this of like, okay, like, um, yeah, like I want to race for X more years. Um, I, we hope that you would want to keep supporting me. And so we were talking earlier about how this is contract season. So it's like, okay, positioning with companies that have supported me for so long and possible opportunities with them. I'm like embracing like other, the other side of um, the racing shoe, I guess of like, okay. Or like I mentioned, Herbalife's been behind me from day one and um, they've asked me to do some other things um, like speaking engagements. And I'm, a horrible public speaker like I hate this is fine we're like sitting here the three of us in a room but like I've had to get up at events for them in foot last year was at the Texan Houston's football stadium like 40,000 people and I had to get up on stage and it was terrifying so for me it's like okay these new things like okay yeah I could be a, a motivational speaker but for me that means I can't just go do that like I have to practice or learn it so now I'm like browsing online courses or like things to, to work on that. So it just gives me some new things of like, um, just, I guess. To go after. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and these are just going to be, there's going to be more and more opportunities for you, but it's funny. You mentioned the, the obligations and, and your timeline for the next three years. So you've already got your spot for Kona. Yes. Yep. So <laughs> ideally, like an ideal perfect lead up would be like, I don't really need to do anything. I can focus only on Kona. But now you've got the sponsor commitments, you've got public speaking, you probably have Mm -hmm. to do some other races, some other commitments. So it's not, it's not like all kick back and let this happen. So how are you going to, how do you balance that and not get too caught up in like, this is going to be the perfect lead up this year because I don't need to really hammer stuff. But how do I balance those commitments that I have? Right, exactly. No, for sure. And, and part of that um, for us is just trying to get, um, not get everything out of the way. I don't want to put it that way. Cause for me, it's like, these are new opportunities, but it's, um, try to do most of this stuff early in earlier in the year. So then we tell a lot of my sponsors, like once July, August hits, it's like, okay, this is, I can't just fly out for this event on any given Saturday. Like I have a six hour ride to do. like, it's so for me, it's a lot of stuff is coming up. Um, January, February, March, in terms of these other engagements and and shop visits or leading runs or like talking or um, looks like I'm going to be going to the Puerto Rico 70.3 again, um, which is not a pro race, 
you're still as a pro able to race in it. Um, but it, I'm going to be doing it as like a fundraiser for Herbalife. And after all the hurricane, um, destruction Mm -hmm. down there and then donate it back. So just events like that of like outside the, okay, Mm -hmm. focused. And then July off limits, right? You're off limits. So get it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I love it. I will. And and just texting with you over the last like couple of days, your schedule, girl, you have been in the hustle, the hustle. I'm like, this girl just needs a day in bed watching some Netflix binge. Oh my gosh. I still haven't finished Handmaid's Tale. (laughs) Have you guys seen it? No. Oh my God. I hear it's addicting. Yeah. So don't. Okay. Don't even start. Off limits. (laughs) Awesome. Heather, we are so grateful for your time today. And uh, if whoever is listening to this, if you are a Patreon supporter, we are going to hop off this uh, podcast. We are going to hop back on for a little mini for a few moments. And uh, we're going to dive into something fun that I think people might be curious about. So uh, thank you so much for welcoming us in here to this um, amazing space and into your life and sharing so generously. We're really grateful. Thank you so much for having me.